0: God, again, thank you for your church and the book you've given us to direct, to guide, to correct, to train, to make us into the people you want us to be. So would you do that once again? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning. My name is Paul, but I don't want to be confused with Pastor Paul or Dr. Paul, or Teacher Paul, or Policeman Paul, or all the other Pauls you have around here. I'm Paul from the first century, born early in that century in the significant city of Tarsus, part of the Roman Empire, and uh, among a family of Jewish people, but also they were Roman citizens. So I was influenced right from day one with both cultures, the Hebrew culture, and the Greco-Roman culture was part of my life. Yet to be trained, I went up to Jerusalem, where I sat under the highly respected Pharisee teacher, Gamaliel. And there I became acquainted with this troublemaker, Jesus of Nazareth, who uh, convinced me that there were going to be some real issues. My my teacher once that Jesus of Nazareth died, and his followers started to talk of his being the Son of God, the Messiah, uh, my teacher said, leave him alone. If it's of human origin, it's going to fail. If it's of God, no matter what you do, you will not be able to fight against it. But I couldn't leave him alone. That's where Gamaliel and I differed. I couldn't leave them alone, and I was going to do everything I could to stop them. And so I approved of the stoning of Stephen. I approved of the severe persecution against the church in Jerusalem. I ravaged the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to prison, breathing threats and murder, against all those who claim to be following this heretic, Jesus. I even went so far as to get permission to go to Damascus, a long ways away, grab some of these early followers of Jesus from the synagogue there, and bring them back to Jerusalem where we could try them. I was dead set against this church. It's not a part of my life I'm proud of, But it's a part of my life. It's what you might call me, Persecutor Paul, if you wish. Now, Pastor Paul tells me that persecution is still going on in the world today. That there are 60 countries where being a Christian is dangerous, affecting 100 million followers of Christ today. It's not something in the distant past. Every day, 100 million people live under the threat of losing their property, having their bodies tortured, even losing their lives. Do you realize that every day, 10 Christians lose their lives for no other reason than that they are followers of Jesus Christ? 10 people a day. Won't make the news, but persecution still goes on in the world. And I'm sorry for the part I played in that from the very beginning. And I hope that you might remember the persecuted church as you pray for the church this day. Don't forget 100 million people who don't get to worship as freely as as we do this morning. So that's part of my life, Persecutor Paul. But fortunately, there's more to describe me than just that, that first word. I was on my way to Damascus. We heard the story. I was on my way and getting close when all of a sudden there was a light from heaven and a voice calling out to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? My first thought was to ask the question, who are you, Lord? And the answer I got was, I can't even put it into words, was shocking. The answer was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. There's no way I can put into words how that upended my whole life. My whole worldview, my whole understanding of God and His, His ways and His word and His Messiah. I mean, it left me speechless. It left me sightless. It left me disinterested in food and drink for days. It just took my whole life and turned it upside down and all around. This Jesus, who I considered blasphemous, claiming to be God, the Messiah, this Jesus, who all these early followers were actually believing in and propagating this new heresy, this Jesus knocked me down on the road to Damascus and spoke to me and appeared to me like God would appear to us with a bright light and a loud voice and all of a sudden I knew my life would never be the same, upended completely. Pastor Paul tells me that uh, there are people who experience that kind of dramatic, upending conversion still today. It's not everybody's story. It wasn't his story, but but it's the story of people who've impacted him. Uh, He told me about C.S. Lewis, who as an English literature professor at Oxford and Cambridge, an atheist, pretty outspoken about that among his friends. was was later to call himself the most reluctant convert in all of England, came kicking and screaming into the kingdom, and God used him as a tremendous vehicle of defending the Christian faith as much as anybody in the English-speaking world in the 20th century. C.S. Lewis had a dramatic conversion. Chuck Colson is another one I've, I've heard of. Chuck Colson, who was... Nixon's hatchet man, and the one who was convicted of Watergate crimes, was not only sent to prison, but in the process came to faith in Christ. And what did he do? He started a worldwide mission to prisoners, prison fellowship that still exists today after his death. Uh, Chuck Colson is another one of those stories of quite a dramatic turnaround. We need to remember that God still is doing this. He's taking people going in one direction, quite public about it, and all of a sudden, whoop, they're going in another direction. God's able to do that kind of dramatic conversion. As I said, it's not everybody's story, but he's doing that. And so I would encourage you, if you're praying for someone and it seems like a long shot, you're, you're right where you need to be and you're continuing to pray for them. Don't write anybody off. No one is beyond the saving reach of Jesus Christ to get them going in one direction and turn them around to another. No one. Don't ever stop praying. Not only for the persecuted church, but don't stop praying for those who seem to be persecuting the church. My story is is evidence that those prayers can be answered. But there's another part of my life I want to share with you, and that is that I'm not only persecutor and now Christian, but I became Apostle Paul, probably the title you most function, you most know about me, Apostle Paul. The same zeal that burned within me against the church, I now turn for the church. And God helped me to do some remarkable things as I took the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the major cities of the Roman Empire, established churches there, uh, found local leaders and left them. If they weren't really ready to take it, I would leave one of my associates with them to help them get up and going while I moved on. I was able to write letters to them whenever they had some disagreements or concerns, or I just wanted to encourage them. But through all this networking, I was... I was working real hard to not just establish individual churches, but to keep them tied together and working together as one church. One of uh, my real joys was to be able to make a collection among all these Gentile churches outside of Jerusalem and outside of the synagogues that were so Jewish. I, I wanted to make a collection and take it to the mother church that was through persecution and other factors in Jerusalem to get all these new young children churches to make a collection and financially help the mother church so that everyone would be convinced we're in this together. That was one of the real joys of my ministry, to make that collection and to deliver those monies on time. So for me, this horizontal unity of the church is something I'm passionate about. It's an organic unity that we can't get away from, even today. But I would suggest to you there's another unity that I'm willing to stress. And that is our unity with with God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. It's not just a horizontal unity. there's, There's a oneness in Christ. If you've read my letters, you know that one of my favorite phrases is, In Christ. We are, as believers and as churches, we're, we're in him. Someone has counted over 160 times I used that phrase. I didn't realize I was writing it that often, but it's like that's so organic and basic to my understanding. We're not just separate from Christ. We're in him, and he's in us. Also, I use the illustration of the body of Christ over 30 times. I speak of this one body, many parts, But the head is is Jesus Christ. He's the one directing the whole affair. That organic unity is basic. It's vertical and basic to my understanding of what we're to be doing. You may wonder, well, did you just make that up, Paul? And I want to say, no, no, no. It was Jesus himself with his disciples. He, He pulled them and said, whenever anyone welcomes you, they welcome me. Whenever anyone listens to you, they listen to me. Whenever anyone rejects you, they reject me. And so when Jesus knocked me down on the road to Damascus and said that question I'll never forget, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he introduced himself as Jesus I wanted to say, but Jesus, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting your followers. But it didn't take me long to realize that to Jesus, that's one and the same. That's the same thing. He's so intimately connected to his people, the church, that there's no taking that apart. When I was persecuting the church, I was persecuting him. That organic unity is so tight. But friends, do you realize how radical the implications of that are? That there is nothing you or I can think, say, or do about the church of Jesus Christ that isn't thinking, saying, And doing the same thing about Jesus, who is the head of his body, the church. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whether you're fighting against the church, complaining, dividing, or working for its unity, or just ignoring it. I can live most of my life without paying any attention to the church. Whatever you do, whatever I do, whatever we think and say about the church... Jesus takes very, very personally. He's so intimately connected to the church. When I persecuted the church, I was persecuting him. That truth has empowered my ministry. It was a bad truth at first for me to realize, but it's become the very core of my understanding of theology. So I can say confidently, if you're in Christ... You have no choice, you're in the church. Welcome to the family. And there's no better symbol of this union than the table we're about to come to. At this table we celebrate our oneness with the God who in eternity sent Christ to live among us, die for our sins and be raised. The one who called forth a following that is united. This communion is union with God through Christ and with one another, and that's why we're here as a family around this table. So when we turn to the table, I welcome you to come know God's love for you personally and our love for one another in the church. Let me pray for us. God, as we turn to your table, uh, may we continue to find you to be the one who unites us and is interested in in all that we say and think and do. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.